Welcome to Wilson in Maine, The View from Wingate, a podcast bringing the expertise of Wingate University to the wider world. I'm Jeff Frederick. In a typical year, 100 million people, give or take, will gather around their big screen televisions or use their phones to watch the Super Bowl. According to the American Gaming Association, about 23 million people bet a combined $4.3 billion on last year's game, one that pitted the Kansas City Chiefs against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and resulted in Tom Brady winning yet another championship trophy. Stop me if you've heard that story before. By my count, legal sports betting, the tip of the wagering iceberg, was conducted in 19 states. Admittedly, plenty bet nothing on the game. Some tuned in to see the commercials and others still find a different game, basketball, baseball, or internationally speaking, soccer, to be their preferred sporting cup of tea. Americans, by and large, are crazy about sports. About 70% of kids play one or more sports growing up, even if a significant number quit playing by the time they reach their teenage years. Children from low-income families are statistically less likely to play organized sports than those from higher-income families. But thanks to Title IX, women are playing sports in increasing numbers, and by the numbers, those that do are more likely to have higher grades and graduate and be more publicly confident. And somewhere in the culture of sport, those participatory benefits, teamwork, exercise, fitness, goal setting, discipline, overcoming adversity, become the public reasons for signing up our five-year-olds for a t-ball experience. We all secretly know that some parent is going to be calculating t-ball batting averages and planning for Junior's professional career, but we're still dying to have our young loved ones put on the uniform and get their sporting years started. Sport is so many different things that I thought it would be time well spent to have a conversation with people who study it and teach it for a living. So I invited Brandy Clemmer, Chris Harris, and Tracy Napolitano to talk about sports with me. Welcome, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Morning. Each of you comes to the broad work of health and wellness and sport and sports science and individual and community sport cultures from a different perspective. What got you excited about this field? I think relationships. I think the relationships you build with teammates, with colleagues, with, you know, coaches, just the difference, the different type of relationships and what they bring to your overall experience? I started in athletic training, so I kind of wanted more of a um, area that you weren't in an office every day and working with young individuals, helping them in healthcare and professions, and just the flexibility and spontaneity that every day was going to be a new challenge. Mine was probably a little more from participatory perspective in that I'd always been an athlete. And for me, it was always an escape, really. Um, And I wanted to pursue an area that would allow me to provide that same context for for both students and athletes, allow them to learn the life lessons, but also have fun. So you knew at a certain time, even while you were playing regularly, that I want to do something in sport professionally. Correct. I I did. I didn't know what those opportunities were. Um, I worked in several other different functions in the corporate world before. I'm discovering that I could actually make a career out of studying and teaching about sport. What about y'all two? Were y'all playing and thought, man, I want to keep my hands in this in some way? I think so. I've always been in the um, 
athletic environment. I'm not saying I'm a star athlete. Um, I played a lot of different things, and I was kind of like your hustle kid, right? So my D1 dreams were killed at an early age. Um, I can run. I'm not very coordinated. Um, (laughs) So I think athletic training gave me a way to be a part of that environment where those relationships were cultivated. And um, I did try nursing one time, but – I didn't love the nursing aspect. I didn't, that wasn't my jam, but mm. being around athletes that needed care and you're a liaison and you're really there for them. Like you see them through this whole like emotional array of return to play. So you see little Johnny go down with an ACL tear, you evaluate, you rehabilitate, and you see him hit that field for the very first time again. And you're like, yeah, little Johnny. So I think for me, I did participate. I was the hustle kid. Um, And athletic training gave me a way to stay involved and be a critical part, like Mm -hmm. be an all-star in my own way, if that makes sense. And you stayed in the middle of the experience because as you helped Johnny to go from, you know, post-injury all the way to almost ready to get back on the court, you're a part of every step of that journey. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really, and there was a campaign from the NAT. I don't know if Tracy remembers it, where it said one day the athlete's going to look in the camera and say, thank you, athletic trainer. But until now, we'll settle for, thanks, mom. <laughs> what about you, Tracy? You were still playing when you thought, I got I to gotta stay in this? Yes, I'm actually like Brandy. I participated. <laughs> I'm going to call myself an athlete. <laughs> I participated. Um, but I was around sport my entire life with my dad being a coach. So um, I just wanted to stay involved with that. And then I pretty much everything Brandy said, I would kind of reiterate being around younger athletes. I thought I always wanted to do like professional sport as an athletic trainer. And then my graduate assistantship was at a high school. And I f- fell in love with secondary schools, just being able to follow those student athletes um, helping their families understand the process also and being that advocate for both the family and the athletes. What do sports tell us about a society? What values, what positive, let's focus on the glass of water is half full. What positive values come out of the sporting experience? We'll offer, offer equal time later in the broadcast. I think foundationally, and you know, history kind of proves this true, is that you can get a pretty good indication of society's values if you look at their recreational values. What, what an individual or what a society values within that recreational setting is typically going to be what that society values in the societal or the social setting. Um, so if that society values personal accolades and wealth within recreation and sport, that's probably what's going to happen within the greater society as well. So almost in the sense that how we spend our time and how we spend our money says a lot about us. And if a lot of that is in the realm of recreation and sports, that that says that it's important. Correct. Yeah, it's it's a context that really impacts identity formation. Um, And if we look at, you know, identity formation theory and whatnot, it, it talks a lot about opportunities. It talks a lot about culture. It talks about society. So um, typically those things that we are involved in, that we want to be involved in intrinsically are going to have more impact in our lives. So that's how we're really going to showcase who we truly are. So in a lot of senses, when we participate in sport, we're free to truly be who we are. And that's going to be reflective of who we are in society as well. Other values that we see coming out of the sporting experience? I'd say teamwork. 
students or individuals learn how to work with others. Um, I know you said glass half full, but also how I deal with adversity, Mm -hmm. Uh, not just the winning, losing, but just how to work with individuals that might come from different backgrounds and earn a different perspective also from each other. Also, just the resilience piece that comes with athletics or sports, recreation, and that building of that that leadership or that leader that we see, um, because adversity happens. There's different perspectives, and when you are a part of a team, if that's how you choose to look at sports, or as even as an individual, you have adversities, you know, that you face just you. Um, take wrestling for example. That's a one-on-one sport and there's a lot of character building that comes from just that so whether it's individual whether it's team whether it's recreation and I think I look at it more from a mom perspective like when I see my kids get out there you know that leadership capacity and how to deal with adversity and different perspectives and how to be resilient because at the end of the day there's a goal that needs to be met Um, so for me it's that leadership slash resilience slash adversity and that's a good and an accurate argument because all of us are going to face adversity. We're all going to have to be resilient. We're going to have to overcome something, particularly when our individual or team goals might clash with someone else's individual or team goals. So why not teach that early on in the process, right? And we'll then apply it for the next eight or nine decades of our lives and we'll have learned something. Absolutely. But I do think it's important. I think Chris can speak on this a little bit more. When you have young athletes in that situation you got to make sure who's guiding them through that is a positive you know source or a positive like coach or a mentor because you can go two different ways there so I think having the right person in the right spot is super important to lead our our youth through that piece yeah the the word we use is intentionality that that we the the sport or whatever it is that we're using to develop in this case young people um, is just that it's it's a vehicle, it's a hook um, to get them involved in, in whatever it is, and we have to have a lot of um, forethought, intentionality behind that to develop them um, how we see fit. Uh, and I think sport offers that certainly. Um, I know there was, I think, a study that was done a few years ago from Fortune 500 companies that talked about how a lot of kids that are graduating from college are not prepared for the workforce, and um, they wanted to look at why that was the case. And they came up with these skills that that youth are not learning in the classroom. Things like critical thinking, conflict resolution, collaboration, communication. And they started looking at the context in which you can learn those things. And one of the best they found was sport. So let's take it off of our own participation in our own courts. And let's think about fan identity. The the cohesion between someone and their preferred team, be it college or, or pro. And admittedly guilty, I'm still, a little, as an Auburn grad, I'm still a little salty about that Iron Bowl from a couple of weekends ago. So I'm definitely no one to offer some uh, opinion on how to change this. But we care so much. Why do we care so much about our team? That's a good question. I, I, because I care about... Wingate. Let me just be honest. Like when I see the big games, USC, Clemson, my parents are huge USC fans. They neither one went to USC, right? But they are still so devoted to the University of South Carolina. And I just kind of want to know why. But I think it's a feeling of belonging. There's this culture. 
you're part of something, it gets you excited. So that excitability, like for me, we went to the ACC um, game against Pitt and Wake Forest, and it was I was glad to be there, great atmosphere, but I wasn't super bought into the game because I need to know somebody on that field. So I think for each individual it's different of why we're so passionate about our team. Um, but I think it comes down to the belonging and, yes, my team won, or being able to say I belong to that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we're social beings and we want to feel a part of something. And sport really kind of fulfills that affiliative need. It allows us to be a part of something, uh, part of something that's bigger than, than ourselves. Um, you know, as a Texas A&M grad, I got to experience the highs and lows uh, of this football season of, you know, being successful against Auburn and Alabama, but not successful against some other schools. Yeah. But I, I think, again, a lot of times it allows that fan to form an identity of, of maybe what, you know, that school stands for, um, what, what are the traditions, um, and, and somehow that connects with that person, whether that be geographic location or if it just be team affiliation. I think that geographic correlation is important. There are some cities whose municipal attitude is tied directly into the sports franchise that they're most so emblematic with. Think about baseball towns. Well, you think about Boston, you think about St. Louis, think about football towns. What about Pittsburgh? What about Green Bay? What about Chicago? Hockey town, Detroit. Those identities from those cities are wrapped up in the performance of that team. So if that particular team, which is at the top of the food chain in that city, is underperforming. It's like that whole city goes into a a funk for a couple of years, a half a decade, more as the case may be, until they get back to where there is because that city's identity is tied up into that team as well. In what ways do collegiate and professional sports change the values of sport that we start off with telling our kids about? The higher up you go, what values become more pronounced in a positive way? The higher up you go, what values become more pronounced in a, in a negative way? I think it's in, in terms of development, positive development, it's really taking an age-appropriate view. So there are certain things in young sport and youth sport that we can focus on. We, we can't necessarily focus on, you know, higher order thinking and leadership skills. But as you age, again, I think it goes back to Brandy's point and talking about the intentionality of the coach. Um, if, if those higher level coaches have that eye towards developing the whole person, then sports, it you know, really provides that fertile context to develop, to continue to develop that individual from a young age on into hopefully a fully functional adult. I agree with that. I think it, when you talk about intentional, that's the big piece. The transition can be what that coach makes it or what they want it to be, right? So even when you look at your high school athletics and then versus your collegiate athletics, um, it, what do you want from your student athletes, right? Do you want that win at all cost? Are we still developing the whole person? And that even goes into the to NFL, it's according to what, what your intention is and how you as you look at it. Because coaches have this great opportunity when we're talking about learning styles and we're talking about, you know, how we're teaching kids, the metacognition that happens there, 
you're learning something, you're reviewing something, you're putting it in real time, um, they have an opportunity to have those like non-cognitive factors play a role. They could really be such a a great advocate for our student athletes when you look at the college. I'm going on a whole, I'm sorry, I'm going on a whole nother rabbit hole here. But, you know, you just kind of look at our student athletes and you look at why they come to higher education. How many of you in this room know that student athletes can come to college and it is an avenue out of where they're at now, right, through athletics? And so it's such a great opportunity for us to promote that student-athlete part. And I'm super kind of a little bit passionate about that. Um, So I think development happens at all ages, and it's intentional through our coach. But I think here on the collegiate level, we have such a great opportunity to really – put that student athlete first and that way if their professional dreams which may or may not happen they have something that they can sustain once they leave the university right sorry about the rabbit hole guys just went down there tracy like even from an athletic perspective the higher the higher you go in sport is there more pressure on athletic trainers to help a person either to sign off and say well this person can get back in the lineup in a professional atmosphere or something then would you might, with the values of winning and maybe having that money drawing uh, player out on the field, would that draw you into being forced to make different decisions? I, I can't speak from personal experience, but from what I know and have heard and through research, then I would say yes. It changes the way you deal with that injured athlete and the coaches and the upper management um, because the way I look at it, unfortunately, it is a business and these individuals become part of that business. So their health and welfare may not be the top priority for everyone involved, but you still have to figure out as that athletic trainer or the other healthcare professional working with them, how to make that work. Um, and I know through the NATA and other organizations, we've done pushes at looking at concussion protocols to make sure these athletes are being taken care of properly and not putting them at risk for other long-term brain issues and conditions. Let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. You know, as we're sort of wrapping up year two of it, um, the first year there was a lot of competition that either got rescheduled or postponed. What did we learn about ourselves as as a society as it came to sport? Did we miss it like crazy? Did we learn to live without it? Is it all the above? Um. I know at my house, it went from 100 miles per hour to zero, and we all struggled. I struggled as a parent mentally. My kids struggled um, because when I say, you know, I mean, we go, 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 and our whole life has been wrapped around youth, like competitions and things of like that. So it took us all a minute to be okay with not being on the road and being very scheduled. The thing that comes with, with sports, you know, it's just super scheduled. So, yes, the pandemic, I feel like, caused a huge struggle for the youth in particular because what do I do now? How, what do I identify with? Like, where do I go? It, it, it was hard. I'd say kind of both because kind of building off of what Brandy, it gave some individuals and an opportunity to look at other things they might enjoy instead of maybe playing baseball all year long. What else could they do for that physical activity? What are some things they can do at home to be productive or use those skills that they've learned through sport on how to deal with 
teamwork and adversity and uh, move forward physically active. I, I will agree. Gracie started riding her bike. Like nobody had license at my house at that point. They didn't want to be home all the time. So we knocked the cobwebs off the bikes <laughs> and it became more recreational. So if you think about youth sports now or just what we do is super organized and we have to go here and meet these deadlines, it was a nice like deep breath say, we're going to just go for a walk or we're going to ride our bikes and get ice cream. We're going to do more as a family, like intentional family time, right? Yeah. That or, could be good or bad. Or even letting a kid be a kid for a little while yeah. that we kind of might have forgot with the schedule of going from one place to another. Yeah. Just letting them maybe figure out what to do when they're bored. <laughs> I mean, a lot of individuals don't know what to do when they're bored. What other activities? Because they are so scheduled in different events, so they had to find something else like just doing a jigsaw puzzle, like look. Yep, yep, <laughs> I mean, some of those like too. drawing. I know some people took up painting or paint by numbers just to kind of get a different outlet out there, which might help in the long run also of how to deal with stress later on in their lifetime too. That's such a great point, Tracy. I mean, there's a difference between sport and play and you need both and they both influence and bring out the best in each other. And Perhaps the pandemic helped us to figure out a way to play a little bit more as opposed to just worry about the sport. It's almost it allowed us to have that. You know what I'm saying? I don't think we allow ourselves to have that time. Yeah. I mean, I know they said in like for nature wise during the pandemic, like the Venice, the water changed completely. It wasn't, you know, and nature regrew. Mm -hmm. So I think in a way it was the universe's way of allowing us to remember, let's just go out and play or let's just do something for fun without having all this structured requirement of our life. You brought up an interesting point, though, with the student athlete. Um, you know, my oldest is a senior now and going through the recruiting process, and we visited a lot of schools this summer. And I got the opportunity to talk to a lot of college coaches, and they said, in a lot of ways, it hurt college athletes, the pandemic did, because the sport is how they have identified for the last well, 15 years and all, you know, all of a sudden that was taken away from them. So there were a lot of student athletes that decided I'm not coming back to sport or really struggled from a mental health perspective. Now, I think personally for me, it was great in that it slowed things down. It, it forced me. Um, so I've got an, an 18 year old or 17 year old and a 12 year old. It forced me to get back out and play basketball and to throw a baseball with my 12 year old, which was good because I wasn't relying on that scheduled time anymore. Um, it was bad because, you know, I cried myself to sleep a lot of nights because <laughs> my body hurt and I hadn't done that in so many years. But I, I think it did. I think it made us kind of reevaluate yeah. and reprioritize um, our lives. Yeah. the Some of the habits of sport. Well, this is when I watch this game and this is when I go to this game and this is when we have competition. That got kind of thrown up for grabs and we had to resort that uh, as we were moving forward. What about the next five or 10 years? How do you think sport's going to change? How do you think society's going to change? There's been so much specialization of individual sports and younger kids in the last. Will that continue? I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> I, I know there's research out there saying that it it's actually not healthy for um, youth to specialize in a particular sport for a number of reasons. One, not to see what else is, they enjoy. Um, but in certain sports like baseball, 
throwing at a young age, pitching at a young age, if you don't have a coach that is an intentional individual and monitoring those things, you can do somewhat irreparable damage that maybe this individual had a possible long career up until professional sports, but they weren't managed and taught appropriately to care for their body and take rest time. And now their arm it's been overused. Is yeah, like for lack of a better word, dead <laughs> and can't be you like can't be used to its full potential. Um, so I know that a lot of other healthcare professionals in athletic training, sport performance, orthopedics are encouraging families to look at other sports for conditioning reasons um, and to take the wear and tear off of certain body parts too. Yeah. I just feel like when you're looking at stress on the body in particular, being a, a multi-sport athlete, your condition all year round, it keeps you busy, gives you all the activities that you need to, but the stresses are are getting distributed a little bit, you know, even out, you know, but it transfers skills. Um, GW plays three sports. Okay, once again, well, he, he wrestles and he plays lacrosse. And just the growth that we've seen for him to be able to walk on any field and have the cognitive knowledge that this is how you do it and be able to, to train, keep active, you know, and I think of burnout. Like I would be burnt if I played baseball all the time at a high rate. And I think we pick on baseball a little bit just because that's where most of the articles I've read come from Tommy John and things of that sort. Yeah, I think there's a, a really healthy counterculture um, evolving right now where kids are encouraged to try new things. You know, right now, I think you mentioned it in your open re opening remarks that, you know, we have very much a pyramid approach in sport where the older you get, the better you have to be to continue to participate. And, you know, the, the research I looked at, by age about 13, 70% of kids quit playing sports. Now, some of those are viable reasons. You know, they find another passion. Sports aren't just for them. But I think we're starting to see, even at the professional level, some of those initiatives come down to encourage that multi-sport participation. Um, there's a great group out of Colorado, the Aspen Institute, that, that does great research on youth sport. And they started an initiative called Don't, Reti uh, Don't Retire Kid. Um, I'm not sure if y'all saw that. It was a couple of Super Bowls ago where they did a couple of commercials where they had a young man or young woman stand up in the middle of a crowd and announce their retirement from youth sports. And I think for a lot of people, that, that, that kind of shook them a mm -hmm. little bit um, in realizing that we're kind of pushing them in that one direction. As you said, that unstructured play is just as, if maybe not more important than that, that highly structured play. Even if it leads to us taking a little bit of Advil to get to be able to True. get to sleep That's later a at bad night. Deal. <laughs> yeah. Or just, I wish somebody would have taught me lifelong activities like growing up. Right. I would love to know how to play tennis. Um, okay, I can play tennis, but it's terrible. But, you know, learning things that I could do at this grand old age. Yeah, I'm a little different. Chris and Brandy both have their kids in sport. Mine, even with my background and uh, her other parents' background, we tried everything. I tried to introduce her to a number of things that I can't even rattle off right now and nothing just clicked with her. So we tried to find other avenues and let her play, like we said earlier, and do other physical activities. But it's just interesting how individuals gravitate towards certain things, but I still think we should allow them to experiment with other sports, not maybe hone in on one just because that's what the parent wants them right. to do. And our bodies change over time. That that body at age eight or nine or 10 that 
seem to move us in the direction of one particular sport. By the time we're 14, 15, 16, you might might open up another one, but if we've waited that long to start, we, we might feel a little bit behind. Let's head to the lightning round. So quick answers uh, on questions that we ask all of our guests. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? For me, I would probably say protect your peace. For me in my life, that, that's really important that I feel like I have peace. And anything in my life that costs me my peace is too expensive for me. So that, that's probably that's the best piece I've ever advice. Seen. Yeah, absolutely. I have to think about that. I've, I've heard so much. Go try see you. I know. I've heard so much. I was just trying to think. Just enjoy the journey. Yeah. And be, I like to say that I'm perfectly imperfect. Um, and just keep going every day and figure out what makes you joyful every day. My dad used to tell me all the time, improvise, adapt, and overcome. Um, and I feel like that's the way I live my life is that whatever is in front of me, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to adapt how I can, and I'm going to just kind of push forward. And so that has suited me very well through the years. What's the most interesting place you've ever traveled to? Nepal. I've been fortunate to go to Australia, so that was very amazing. Yeah, I'm not a big, I'd, I'd like to world travel, but I don't make world travel money. Um, but probably the most interesting place, um, honestly, would be up in New Hampshire. And I lived up in there um, in the Crawford Notch on the Appalachian Trail. Hmm. Just very secluded. Um, I'm kind of a nature person. So for me, it was somewhat utopic. It just hmm. really made you feel like kind of you were the only person on earth. Sounds lovely. Can I go, please? You know, I sleep for five days. Field what's, trip. What's the, be- <laughs> what's the best thing you ever ate? I'll get in trouble if I don't say my wife's Texas sheet. There you go. I well done, good sir. Good job. Good job. But that is the best thing. I'm not a foodie. Like anything that's authentic Italian. I you get that natural. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhat. I probably have to say, and this is such like, you know, a big treat for me, but my mom's fried pork chops. Like nothing better than anything my mom makes, but her fried pork chops are like your home. Yeah. I know. I think yeah. that's and I think yeah. that's a little bit yeah. of it, you know. Yeah. And I try. I I try. And GW tells me, "Good job, mom," but I know he doesn't mean it. <laughs> that's kind of like you know, I miss being from Texas. The eighteen-hour smoked brisket over hickory wood. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's probably outside of the cake. The brisket is. I think it's lunchtime now for all of us. I think Absolutely. So. Agree. Thanks for a great conversation, y'all. This has been great. Tracy, Brandy, Chris, thank you for everything. And tune in next time for the next edition of Wilson in Maine. Special thanks to Wingate University Marketing and Events. Theme music by Daniel Friedel. The views and opinions expressed by any individual during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and positions of Wingate University. (laughs) 